This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. Trip started out great, soured at the end of his last two games. Felt like we scored enough goals to win those games. We just gave up too much. And uh, whether it was fatigue, whether it was mental fatigue, who knows, but we're better than that. You know, if you're going to tell me the start of the trip, you're going to go 3-2, and two, I would have been okay with it, I suppose. But when you start off 3-0, and all, all of a sudden you're not as okay with it. And so we knocked off some good teams. We lost some good teams, but now we're home for three uh, before the break against you know some teams we've struggled with this year. So this is a big test for us, and there should be a little urgency to us after we've dropped our last two. A little bit of urgency, not a bad thing. Lightning come home tonight. They'll take on the Minnesota Wild. First game back after a five-game road trip. We'll have all of the coverage for you right now here on... Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. Glad you're with us. Greg Lanelli with you. Dave Michigan, the radio voice of the Lightning, is with me along with Steve Versnick. Joe Smith from The Athletic. He's going to make an appearance later on in the program. That'll he's, be a lot of fun. He's in the house in that he is in Amelie Arena, mm-hmm. and he will be in the house in our room, in our studio, in about half an hour, like you He'll said. He'll be ready to Maybe 40 minutes. Yep. Depends how long the wild take for him to finish his actual job responsibilities before he joins us love it yeah it's gonna be fun and so greg i have two mea culpas right off the bat here maybe i shouldn't say mea culpa can i guess yeah which two which two do you think i need to correct from yesterday's show Hmm. i'm gonna say something on pat maroon yeah bingo okay um, the other one it. was more difficult. <laughs> it is tied it. to the fact that Julian Breezebaugh did a fireside chat in front of the fake fireplace in the, the family fake. lounge I like with that. all the reporters. And because he went at 1130, I was able to sit in there. And this is actually in response to a question I asked because it was something that we had been talking about on the show. Well, let's get into it. Yeah. Rudy Balsers. News. Rudy Balsers. So I have Tell two us. corrections uh, that are not even corrections. I think I made some assumptions, which is, again, if anyone has listened to the show for any length of time, they know that I do not like making predictions or going on assumptions. But I did yesterday because we were talking about these two different topics. And the fact that Maroon was going for additional testing, to me, felt ominous. And that... The, the better news would still not be great news and that he would be out for a period of time. Maybe only a couple of games, but it was not going to be like he's returning immediately. Well, I was way off because yeah. not only was he on the ice today, he's in tonight. So that's great news. I'm glad I was wrong about that. So whatever the additional testing was, clearly everything came back probably as as positively as as could be expected or hoped for. Balsers. So Balsers is in Syracuse on a conditioning assignment. What I had said was the conditioning assignment can last up to two weeks, but Syracuse is on a break. Syracuse doesn't play for basically a week. And I was assuming that Balsers would come back up rather than sit down there for essentially a week to fulfill his second week of eligibility for conditioning. But Balsers has not been called up. So I asked Julian Breesbaugh, can you give us an update on Balsers? And what he said is he has two games left of eligibility. 
in the American League on his conditioning stint next mm-hmm. Friday and Saturday. And then we're on a break, meaning that the Lightning are on their bye week into the All-Star break. And he said, and after that, we'll have to make a decision. So the Balsers' decision, is he coming up? Are they going to try and keep him there and put him through waivers? Are they going to call somebody else up? Are they not going to do anything? If they do call him up, a corresponding move would need to be made. That was something else that Julian mentioned, not relating to Balsers, but relating to adding a player at the deadline. All of that is is basically on hold until after the NHL All-Star break. That's how I read his answer. So I was thinking that we would get some info on Balser sooner rather than later. It's going to be a little later. It's We're not talking a month, but we're talking a couple of weeks after the NHL All-Star break is what I understood. And then when is the trade deadline? That, that, to, that to mean. Well, isn't it the beginning of March? Yeah. Yeah. Now, look, I don't know if, like, once his conditioning assignment is up, does he have to come back up? Even if the Lightning run a bye week, they may have to make a corresponding roster move. But at the very least, it sounds like he's going to stay in Syracuse and get these final two games in next weekend. And then from there, we'll see how this how this goes. Now, yeah. the other side to that is let's get into the, the Pat Maroon situation because he's practicing. Right. Today, yeah, which you know that may coincide. And with... Coop said everyone is available, so yeah, whatever that means. Sounds like to me that Maroon is good to go, which is great news because it didn't look good, honestly, when he well, left really the did. ice. And it, I, I, I told you when you see the replay, it looks weird because it he gets kind of sandwiched in between, and you're thinking, is that where he got hurt? And then he falls to the ice, and the way he was holding his arm, it was just did something pop. You know, I don't know if right. anything would break in that scenario, but whatever it is, there is an opportunity for him to be in the lineup tonight, which is a very positive sign. And we talked about Pat Maroon. What does he mean to the team the other day? And now he's maybe going to be in the lineup, and, and that would be a good thing Yeah, for the team. But the Rudy Balser situation, that just gets delayed a little bit more, doesn't it? In well, look, I mean, I guess it's, it's good that he's getting a couple more games. He's just going to have to – I mean, the All-Star break is not like a week and a half, right? So right. they played Saturday, and they're going to get, what is it, five days. Yeah. And then they play again next Friday, a back-to-back, Correct. Friday, Saturday. But the Saturday game is going to coincide with the Lightning's final game before their break against the Kings here. Yes. Were you surprised? Julian spoke to some members of the media today. No, I mean it's his mid-season. I guess that's right. Press there. conference, I guess, yeah. and the Lightning were on the road when when they played Game Forty One. He referenced that. We can get into some other things that he mentioned, which I'm sure will be of great interest to the fans. I guess breaking news, right? Because nobody else has this unless they're tweeting it. I guess it's not breaking news. I'm sure the tweets are flying right from all of the reporters who were in the press conference, which I had to leave early, by the way, so I could join you. Much more important. Between you and Julian, I would pick you, certainly. <laughs> Actually, that's not true, but I heard the <laughs> beginning of the press conference. So I'm like, all right, I think I've heard everything I need to hear. If there's anything else coming out, we can find it on online. So, And Kevin's there recording it for posterity. Which is good. Yes. Yeah, which is good. All right. So well, do you want to get into what Julian had to say? I, I mean, the, I, the me, big news. I think news. that's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Let's get the big news. So uh, the obvious questions were like, does he think there's going to be anything happening at the deadline for the Lightning? What is his feeling taking stock of the team at the halfway point? Those were those were the two big ones, which I think most people I feel like the second would... answer 
the the second the second question he'll expand on more than the first. I think the first one, let me guess. You know, we're always looking for ways to improve our team. If there's a deal out there that makes sense, we'll look at it. I think he gave something a little bit more pointed yeah. than that. Like so he was fairly rosy about the team. He pointed out that the Lightning's points percentage at, at 41 games is right where it was last year, essentially right where it was the year before and comparable to where it was the year before that. And and those those numbers are very, very good. So that part of it has been very positive. What he said about – so Eric Erlinson actually asked the question about being top-heavy and relating to the forwards. And he what was he said was – Sorry? He was listening to our show. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Can't or you, you guys talked about it on the last Probably. call. Probably. And the way Julian answered it was essentially around the league – the top scorers are scoring more than they were even a couple of years ago, which is true, although I think scoring is up across the board. Top scorers and and players who are not top scorers are also scoring more. We saw that last year. But the way Julian kind of interpreted what's happening around the league is power plays are, are, are more prolific, which is true. Like you look at the percentages – they're higher, which means that the guys who are on the power play are scoring more, which is true. And therefore, the top guys are getting more points. So he said, I think the league has become more top-heavy. That may be. It kind of left unanswered, though, the question. The, the second part of that question is, while the league may be top-heavy and the Lightning may be more top-heavy than before, is Julian satisfied with what he is getting from the bottom six? And the way he answered that was, yes. He's like, I think our complimentary players are are doing well. He said they're doing more now than they were at the start of the year, which is basically what we've been saying, right? So as it relates to adding a player, he was very blunt about the limitations the Lightning have. And he's usually, as Eric has often said and laughed saying it, that Julian is always like temper expectations and he goes out and makes a deal. What he pointed out was very true. The lighting of no cap space, as it relates to like even balsers, like somebody making the league minimum, they can't add without making a corresponding move. They have that little cap space, and they've used a lot of their draft capital. This is a term he used the last couple of years. The Lightning do not have a first-round pick this upcoming draft, nor do they have a first-round pick the next year. They don't have a second-round pick this year. So forget about even drafting players. If you're going to leverage like draft picks or not leverage, but utilize some of your draft capital to use his term to acquire a player. The Lightning have very little draft capital at this point because they've used so much of it to get the Brandon Hagels, et cetera. So, which is to say that he's in a tough spot. Like there's only so much that he can do. He was laughing about it. You know, he's like, we have no cap space, no draft capital. And and right now he said it's crickets. Like there's nothing happening around the league that may pick up as we get closer to the trade deadline. So we may have to see if the Lightning can just go into the playoffs with, with the group that they have. Or, and this is what he did say, it could be a Nick Paul type deal. Now, if you remember, Greg, last year the Lightning acquired Nick Paul, but they traded a player, Matthew Joseph, off the roster to make the money work. So they are, he said, it's a 365 day job. It's not like we just get focused as the trade deadline approaches. It's more about 
keeping our eye open and trying to improve our team. And if there's an opportunity around the deadline to do that, I'll do it. Clearly, he has shown that he will do it. But they may even face more limitations this year than they have in some of these more recent years where they have also faced limitations. I think that um, that's basically the the brunt of the two key questions that were asked. He was also asked about Perbix, and he said, sure. if I'm being honest, like we didn't think Nick Perbix would be on the team this year. So, I mean, he impressed them in training camp, and then certainly when he got his opportunity, he, he basically blew their doors off in terms of how well he played when he got the opportunity. So this is coming from Chris Krenn. Uh, Julian quote, those opportunities that we took advantage of presented themselves and we took advantage. I'm hoping that something happens this year and it helps us again, but I'm also cognizant that it might not be the case. The opportunities might not line up for us. And yeah, that was part of his said. that was part of his answer about yep. the cap space limitation and, and then no draft capital. Go ahead. This one was pretty interesting. Just generally speaking, this is him talking. I'd be looking at what makes us a harder team to play against, help defend and make us a harder team to play against. That's probably as specific as I can get right now, end quote. And he said that after I left. I didn't hear him say that. So that so. gives you maybe an idea of the type of player that he is looking yeah. for. Now you can talk about you know whether that's a, a Nick Paul-type move or a Nick Paul-type player, probably a little bit of both, right. maybe to acquire something like that. But I listen, that type of player... Does that typically fit a bottom six role? Not that you can't have somebody who's hard to play against that's mm-hmm. in a top six, but I don't think they're going to change anything in their top six. I don't think they're going to change regarding whoever you identify as their top seven or top eight forwards. I think we're looking specifically, which is why they brought in Rudy Balsers. Does Rudy Balsers fit that description, at least in terms of maybe the scanner? We may have lost Greg there. Well, he was saying, does Rudy Balsers fit that description? With the Lightning, it's hard to know. He's only played two games and then one shift. Well, this is this is what they call serendipitous timing because Joe Smith just walked in the studio. So as we lost Greg, we gained Joe. So Joe's putting on the headsets. Joe, welcome back, man. Thank you. It's uh, it's only been three months, but it felt like it's been a, been a minute since I've been back. But it was cool to come back to the building and see some familiar faces. So have you acclimated to the temperature in the single digits. Does that make one day feel like three days when you say it felt like longer than three months? Um, the weather has actually, like, surprisingly been that, other than a Christmas, like, big snowstorm, it's been really, I, I, I enjoyed it. Like, I enjoy being outside. We still go for runs along the riverfront. Um, you know, so I think this weekend will be a true test for me. It could be like seven degrees or six degrees. We've been usually the teens to 30s, which is, yeah. which is if you I think from, when the lightning popped into town for basically about 20 hours because it was a back-to-back it was in the single digits so that was for our benefit i guess yeah the snowstorm welcomed you in you had a later arrival (laughs) that's right it was a snowstorm because the runway was closed down right before you guys flew in there because a plane kind of slid off so wild basically gave the players an optional skate so they didn't have to drive in no one really had to show up yeah (laughs) Yeah. because they actually have to shovel their their car out you know i'm in an apartment so i have a heated garage so i don't have to worry about that but players with their bigger homes they can do that but yeah but it's been good overall and it's been it's been fun and it's been a a cool experience kind of a blank canvas uh covering a new team and meeting new people and building new relationships where um i cherish all my time here and, and covering the same guys for a long time you you try to find out different ways to write stories about the same person which was always why i took a lot of pride in doing but now kind of having this whole huge kind of thing to explore on my own 
I think Greg's you know, back. Yeah, there yeah, he is. Yeah, I am. I'm sorry about that, guys. Uh, Joe Smith joins us. Joe, welcome back, buddy. Good to uh, good to talk to you. I'm curious for our audience out there when you cover a team, and now that you've had to do it over again, basically, what's that process like? What are the what are some of the first things you do, and how are those relationships starting to develop? That's the important thing, relationships, right? That's the the core of what we do, uh, you know, both in in writing or in radio or whatever else. You want to be able to build a relationship to get to know uh, the players. Like I think our job is to connect kind of the fans and readers with the team, and the only way to do that is by learning more about these guys. So for me, it was other than just learning everybody's number at morning skate to know who's what line uh, to introduce myself to a lot of players just informally, not even interviewing with them, just kind of just telling me a little bit more about myself and learning about them. And um, I went to a coffee with Jared Spurgeon, the captain, for a couple hours and really got a feel for him. And no, record, no recording, no interview, just kind of a back and forth. And, you know, the GM has been great, Bill Guerin, um, you know, having a, a beer with him sometime just to kind of catch up and just learn more about how each other's process is. And so a lot of it's been mostly kind of introducing myself to people and getting to know them. Other things, just kind of watching some games just to kind of get a feel for what players are like. So you, you get a more appreciation about them when you watch them practice, right? Like here with Kucherov and Stamkos, you you know more about them by watching the details of what they do. So uh, to get there two days before the season started wasn't quite ideal, I think, for that process. Usually training camp's a great time to, to do those introduction, but uh, it's been three months and I really feel, I feel a lot more comfortable now in the room, walking around, um, in, talking to guys, you know, getting my feel around the organization, doing stories on analytics and scouting and strength and conditioning coaches, you know, meeting a lot of different staff members that aren't on the public eye. So at least from the outside, looking into Minnesota, it appears that this is a franchise that is certainly above average. Like, they are a good, solid franchise. They make the playoffs regularly, but they have not been able to really penetrate into the quote-unquote elite, which you get there basically by going deep in the playoffs or finishing at the top of the regular season standings and going deep in the playoffs. Is there an acknowledgement that the and, – and when that happens, it's hard to get a cup, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's also hard to get a top – two or three pick because mm-hmm. you're you're almost too good right mm-hmm. you're, you're picking in the mid to late first round on a regular basis is there an acknowledgement that the wild are kind of in that region of they need to either get really really good or almost fall off the map in mm-hmm. a way to shake things up to get another Kaprizov or somebody mm-hmm. like that is that is that accurate and like what are the wild going to do about that well, I think if you look back historically, like the last 10 years, like they have been a playoff team. They have had trouble getting beyond the first round. And I think they did make kind of a seismic change when they bought out Parise and Suter and feeling that would be kind of a way to not rebuild or retool, but because they know it's going to hurt them in the cap the next number of years with their flexibility wise. But it was a big part of improving the culture of their team and, and inside the room. And it's so much, they feel it's so much better now. Um, and so I think that was some pain they're going to have to deal with on the line. But while all the while, they built a, a farm system that's top 10 in the league, at least as far as a lot of the people you talk to or do the rankings. So they have a lot of really good prospects coming. They weren't like the number one picks, but like Marco Rossi and, uh, you know, as you just saw, Matt Boldy signed on a long-term extension. So they feel like they're in that process of of building towards it. It may not be this – they're not going to – they're a cup contender this year, but, you know, they're they're going to building towards that when the cap – goes up and when Parise and Suter are off the books, then you have all these young players converging at the same time with Kaprizov and they feel in the Western Conference like it's relatively wide open at this yes, point. Yes, it is. So, I mean, you know, you win around and all of a sudden see what happens and you have goaltending and he gives yourself a chance. 
Joe Smith joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. What's it been like to cover Mark Andre Fleury? He's he's a he's a beauty. Uh, I've, I've heard for <laughs> years. I heard for years of you know he's one of the best people to be around in the game, and and they're they're accurate. You know he's just so friendly, gregarious, like uh, patient, like accountable. If he loses, you know, like he's one of those guys you can. Not in game days. Every goalie, for some reason, can't talk in the morning skate day. But like the, he's very accommodating to media. He's just he'll write a joke, and he's one of the biggest practical jokers on their team. He'll always be getting somebody with something. Really lightens the room, um, and he's so well respected in the game, not only by his team but everybody around the league. So um, he's definitely been uh, one of the first guys I went to to introduce myself to kind of get a feel for uh, the room and stuff. But uh, yeah, he's he's definitely uh, got a great personality for sure. I know here in Tampa, Joe, you really enjoyed collaborating with mm -hmm. athletic colleagues. They were usually not here, but mm -hmm. you would collaborate. Maybe an athletic reporter who covered a team the Lightning were seeing, and you guys would team up and, and do a story together. You have a unique situation in Minnesota, and then Mike Russo, who's certainly as veteran as they mm -hmm. come, is also an athletic writer situated in Minnesota. How has that been? Like, Have you guys collaborated a lot, or do you kind of have your own lane to be in? in terms of what you're doing? We have collaborated on a number of stories and like we've done, like we're doing a trade board now, like we're working on something together, going back and forth on what they need or who's, who stays, who goes. Like we've done stuff um, like uh, kind of a chat between the two of us on mid-season back and forth. Uh, when we interviewed, Gary, we interviewed him on a podcast together, the two of us interviewing um, that way. But I think the biggest collaboration is just talking over story ideas on your own team. Maybe whether it's I do it or whether it's Mike does it, it's a really, awesome thing to have like a team again sort of thing we, only person that knows the team better than I do would be him and so you can kind of play it off each other but I've been pleasantly surprised because he is a veteran as they come and he's been around the team for 20 some years there hasn't been a situation where he's like oh you can't do this story you can't write about this guy or like you know it's everything's kind of fair game where you know you can write these other guys I'm writing the big you know it's it been a really nice way to be like a, I believe like a good teammate there to do it so um, it's been a fun collaboration process and it'll be more as we go along with these, with the road trips too, I get Tampa and Florida, and he gets DC and Raleigh, and so it's pretty equitable that way too. Joe Smith joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. How active do you think Minnesota will be at the trade deadline, if if at all? I think, like Bill Guerin said a few weeks ago, like a lot of GMs say, the team will tell me how active I'll be by their play uh, leading up to the deadline. Um, they don't have cap space next year but they have a lot of cap space this year so i think if they're going to make a move it would be a rental uh whether it's a big name or a small name and specifically probably uh scoring up front a lot of names that are out there of course but um i think there's a good chance that they're active they got three guys at last year's deadline including mark andre Fleury. um they have like 15 million in cap space at the deadline so they could do a lot of creative things um but for them you know they're also at a point unlike the lightning who could trade their first-round picks? The Wild don't want to do that because they're that the cap situation. They want to keep those assets and those first-rounders and that kind of retool process. So they would definitely be a player in for player out, but um, getting more of a rental uh, than going anybody long-term. You can sign for extension. Well, Joe, you had the the benefit of sitting in on Julian Breezeboz's mid-seasons mid-season press conference. Mm -hmm. I guess he timed it for when you guys Very are going to be him. in town. Very kind of him to wait for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, what did you make of what he had to say? He's always very detailed and, and very candid, I feel, in these interviews. Um, and what struck me um, is always about him is about seizing the moment, right? Like I asked him, how do you balance the future and the present as a GM, you know, giving up assets for the – and he mentioned of how the work that's gone in to get 
this specific group of players, a special team, uh, a collection of talent they may not have ever again, and making sure that to give them the best chance again to win a Stanley Cup, which is why he says every year, you know, a dollar make a move because they have no cap, but then he makes a move anyways because you want the stars to align for that move to be made. So I, I think he has a real accurate and realistic view of what this team has and what they need. And um, I think read between the tea leaves that he's willing to do whatever it takes, you know, asset-wise to put this team in the next year or two in that position to go after another cup because it may not have a, happen again for a while after that. What do you make of Steven Stamkos? What he's accomplished up to this point, the organization will honor him, and it seems like he just keeps getting better with age, Joe. Yeah, like a fine wine, right? And it's funny, he's only like, like early 30s, right? He's not like that old, but uh, in the NHL terms, he is 15 years in the league. I've just been really impressed, like in covering a lot of his career, and Dave's covered um, all of it, uh, the person he is, the character he has, and uh, people don't give him enough credit, I think, for the serious injuries he's had, not only to come back and play, but to come back and play and be at an elite level, it takes a lot mentally, it takes a lot physically to put yourself back in position uh, to play a game that's increasingly faster um, for him to stay with it. Um, and I think the ultimate reward for him was the two Stanley Cups and 500 goal. It puts you in rarefied air there. It's like a magic number. I uh, did a story last week when it came when he scored the 500th goal and talking about 500 goal scores and what that moment means to them and why it's such a, a special thing for a goal scorer to make. So definitely happy to see him have success and looking forward to, to seeing the ceremony tonight. I wonder how many gifts they have left to give him after <laughs> the thousandth point that they give him everything else. So it's going to be hard to see what they come up with tonight. It may all be for his kids. Who knows? It could be. <laughs> little Zamboni for, uh, for Carter there. So, um, But, yeah, it's going to be fun to see it. Joe, before we let you go, just what do you make of what you've seen so far across the league? We Dave and I have talked about it. You know, scoring is up. And... The Atlantic Division looks like maybe three teams makes it, but you know you've got some of these uh, younger teams who have drafted and developed uh, some pretty good players that are knocking on the door to maybe unseat some of the teams who have typically been in the top. What do you make of just the the league in general, and and what are you seeing both in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference? Well, it's amazing that no lead is safe. Pretty much, it seems like you know all the third period comebacks around the league. I think the Lightning are one of the better teams in that category. Uh, I just love the the infusion of young talent. You, you seem like the guys get better every year. Um, you know, I watch it Kaprizov every day. And um, but I mean, what strikes me? I mean, I didn't ask Julian this. I forgot to the press conference. Like, it's really interesting to have. Basically, you know who your playoff opponent will pretty much be two months before the, the playoffs start, right? Unless there's a collapse on one end from Boston or another end, it'll be the Leafs versus the Lightning like it was last year. So that's what's interesting to me of how do you, that, how do you keep one eye on that one and how do you, you know your opponent for two months? The, a guy team you know really well, too. Not that you need to pre-scout them anymore, but that's what's fascinating to me. You already kind of know who they're going to play uh, in the first round. Well, Joe, we appreciate it as always. It's great catching up with you, and I'm sure it was fun for you to come back to Tampa and cover so many of the players you have for years. Absolutely. And look, working on some lightning stories as we speak, so those will be coming out in the next coming weeks. So it's always fun to come back and write about this team that I've covered for so long. And always good yeah. to see you guys, too. Uh, what I miss most about Tampa is the people, and that's uh, the honest truth. Well, good to see you, Joe, and thanks for stopping by our little studio. <laughs> Nice. We left the press box, so you don't you have a jacket on, but you don't actually need one no. in this comfy studio. We've upgraded, no. Joe. We've upgraded. No, this is nice. You can't see it except four white walls and yeah, a couple yeah. of blank television screens, but temperature-wise, it's way more comfortable. I've never been in this 
part of the building actually it's <laughs> kind of weird it's like this, this really new corridor i was here for 10 years i've never been in this i mean part of the offices so it's learn something new every day right guys so you do you do thanks so much well, we appreciate guys. it all right joe thank you buddy appreciate it joe smith joining us right there and always good uh partner to catch up with uh, somebody who's covered the, the lightning for a a long time. He's probably got an interesting perspective. You know, yeah. he's covering Minnesota, but he's not that far removed from covering what arguably was and still is the best period of not only lightning history and, and hockey, but I, I think you can make a, a hard case the best run of any sports team in Tampa in the history. Well, and, and that's true. And so he had a lot of juicy material to work with, but I still maintain, like, it may be Joe's absolute forte, but certainly if it's not his absolute forte, it's one of his strengths, is doing the the personal interest stories yeah, and the deep dives on players. And it was interesting to hear him say that, you know, he feels refreshed going to Minnesota because he's got all this new material, right? Sure. I mean, one one aspect of being really good is that although the Lightning have had some turnover – the turnover hasn't been massive, right, during the last five, six, seven years. So basically you're having a lot of the same players return, and maybe Joe was at a point where he's kind of written a lot of the stories that demanded to be written about the players here, but now he goes to Minnesota and he's got 20-some-odd new stories to do, potentially. Yeah. I would think that would be rejuvenating. You know, it's it's exciting. It's it's new. And I think part of that is just wanting to get in there and understand who the players are. And, you know, you mentioned Bill Guerin, Marc-Andre Fleury. There's some characters there for sure. And if mm-hmm. he has that access to those players and and management people, that's makes his job interesting, you know, yeah. which is which is tremendous. I, I got to ask you before we move on a little bit. What was his favorite story he did when he was covering the Lightning for the Athletic that you enjoyed the most? Well, it would probably be one of those deep dive stories. And I, he did so many of them. I'm trying to remember. I think, well, the one that immediately comes to mind, I'm not sure that this is my quote-unquote favorite, but I remember it that it stuck with me, was Tyler Johnson and how he basically turned from an undersized guy that that couldn't make a lot of the teams that he was trying out for to in the running for the con Smythe basically in, in 2015, I mean, I'm jumping ahead there, but like how many teams said no to Tyler Johnson as he was coming up through the ranks and he had to work and scratch his way to, to get opportunities. And finally he did in, in, in major junior and played on a Memorial Cup champion, which helped, I think, not in his final junior season, but that got him some some attention. But he was still undrafted, right? Right. His the mom, I believe his mom was a figure skater, or maybe still is a figure skating teacher. Am I remembering that right? I think that was are. a very interesting yeah, story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just about the path that he took. But that those are the sorts of stories that that he was able to write. And we talked about this, I know, Greg, because, you know, you and I teamed up doing the show together after COVID arrived. So I know you and I talked about it as Joe was covering the team during basically like 
pandemic restrictions, and he was still able to get these really in-depth stories done with the access being a limited and and b not exclusive like usually if you asked a question everybody heard the question and he was still able to to find ways to to come up with those same great stories so that was a credit to him i know we discussed that when those stories would come out like in that 2021 season i remember where we were were basically just doing press conferences the locker rooms weren't open that that had to have driven a lot of reporters just crazy. Yeah. You know, that everybody had access to the angle you were trying to to get. Yeah. And I don't want to say it probably developed some lazy habits, but, you know, let's face it. If you're struggling to come up with a topic, you're like, well, I'm just going to listen down to this column <laughs> yeah. and see if anything <laughs> pops up, you know, and I'm sure it did. Well, you remember when Ed Encina took over the beat. And we had him on. He had been covering the Bucks, and he shared the story of like huge press conference with Tom Brady. And Ed asked a question of Tom Brady, and before Brady even finished his answer, other people were like tweeting out Tom Brady's answer to Ed's question without giving Ed credit for having right. asked the question. That, in a nutshell, is basically that's what kind the of reporters where we were. were dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That is pretty Because it makes it seem like the person tweeting it asked the question, right? Sources have told me. Or they were on the ground and they got this critical information (laughs) from Tom Brady. In the trenches. Yes, in the trenches. I mean, they were there to hear the answer, but somebody had to ask the question, right? Somebody had to always give credit. Yeah. A couple of things. I should have given credit. credit. I think I did. I said Eric asked Julian the question about the top heavy. Right? I asked the question about Balsers. I gave myself credit there. You should have. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Be honest, folks. Be honest out there. That's a it's a good it's a good trait. If you're honest, you can't get in trouble. I mean you could, but it's less trouble. Yeah. You know, when it comes to all that stuff. Chris Crenn Chris Crenn yeah, has a tweet here. I love this. Give credit. Yes. Brandon Hagel is an RFA at the end of next season. I was not here for this question. Yeah. So Hagel is not eligible to be extended at the current moment. But with his strong season up to this point, I asked Breezebois. Yeah. I asked, quote, Chris said, I asked Breezebois if he believes the Lightning will be able to keep him long term. Chris is learning. And then, he, then he put his, <laughs> his answer, Julian's answer. But somebody else will still take credit for that. <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> it's usually how it will, usually how it happens. Sure says basically. Happy to, by the way, basically the answer yeah. is because Hagel has another year on his current deal, and then he's restricted. He does. He does. So basically, there it's a ways down the road. But their their hope is to to make him a lightning long term. I mean, at this rate, that's got to be one of the best value deals out there. It just I would has agree. To be. Yeah. It just has to be. Go ahead. Sorry. No, it's not a big deal. Cher says, happy that Perbitsk is back. Hope Big Rig won't be playing injured. Well, there's a difference between playing injured and playing hurt. And players play hurt all the time. Like, they're not feeling 100%. If you're playing injured, you're compromised, though. And I don't think they'd let him on the ice if he was playing injured. No, there, there's it's too much of a liability. And yeah. It's just you don't have or to. Or you make something worse. Like they're not gonna they're not gonna jeopardize what he can do a week from now or a month from now or yeah. into the playoffs. For sure. It it kind of goes back to 
what are you in rush? What are you in a rush to get him back? Why? Mm -hmm. You know, if this was a team that was clinging to the last playoff spot or really needed every point, which really the Lightning haven't had to be in. We've talked about this with some of their star players towards the end of the season. You can't rest them all, but why wouldn't you rest one or two if you could? Right. I mean, that's kind of the mindset that it that I think the Lightning should have when it comes to players. Well, and look, they have two extras right now. So, I mean, first of all, I don't know that they rest in terms of not playing them at all, but maybe you, you cut down on their ice time a little bit. The, could. Yeah, you could. The, the allure of, of when you're in the game, though, to play to win is pretty strong. Mm-hmm. That's what makes these guys competitors, and, and the coaches are competitors, too. They want to win. I'm not suggesting they play Nikita Kucherov 25 minutes a night, but I don't know that we're ever going to see the time when Kucherov is playing 13 minutes because they want to give him less ice time. No. To, to preserve him. Nor do I expect that we will have a, a situation where Kucherov is a healthy extra because they want to give him the night off. I just don't see that happening. That's not no. the way the Lightning have done it. And also, too, I, I wonder, it's different today with guys hitting certain milestones, right, in their contracts. Do they mm -hmm. even have those? You know, somebody hits 50 goals, you get a million bucks. I mean, I know those. I don't even know if they still have them. They may for entry-level guys. Yeah. But, I mean, that's the other thing. Um, you know, if a guy was closing in on something where you get a little more money, maybe there was reason to play him a lot more. I, I agree with you in terms of not playing somebody 13 minutes that's a high-end guy. I mean, at that point, you might as well just sit him. Right. But it's different. It's different in hockey than it is in some of these other sports. Like in... The rosters are just bigger <laughs> in some of the other sports outside of basketball. Yeah. You know, strategically, you have to be reasonable with who you sit and who you don't. But uh, it's it's a good point, and it's something we'll keep an eye on. This question comes from Anthony. He said, I'm kind of worried about all these goals, which somehow deflect off of our players. Feels like anything can go in. Power play is cooled off a bit. I'd like to see the option when Hetty supports Cooch closer to the wall all the pressure on Cooch all the time is too much. Same in six on five. So there's a reason why Kucherov has pressure on him. That's because the penalty kill understands how dangerous he is. So if you just like let him stand around there, I mean, you can go one of two ways. You can either be more aggressive and try and close on him and take the risk that he's going to find somebody open, or you actually do the opposite and sit back and just – do your best to clog up the middle. And then you are giving him time, potentially, to make a play. But the power play is going to run through Kucherov. They're not going to, like, switch it to the other side and have it not run through Kucherov. I mean, it has to, right? Right. So, like, when Hedman, when Hedman is not close to Kucherov, what that does is it can, it can and, he, and he wires it to Kucherov, one of two things can happen, or both. First of all, you might have the goalie moving, and Kucherov might be able to one-time it in because the goalie is, is flooded to the side that Hedman is on, which is the opposite side of the ice, not like along the boards, but let's say if we were to draw a line from 
the middle of the net out to the blue line, and that's your like exact center. He's on the other side of that line from Kucherov, so he's more at like the left point. The goalie has to be aware that Hedman could could throw a puck to the net, so he's angled to his right. The puck comes back to his left. Kucherov might have time for a one timer, and or, and often it's and because it's both. The penalty kill box gets shifted, so Kuch can one time it, or he can or he can bump it back across, and then you really get the box moving. So there's a reason why Hedman is not always close to Kucherov. Now I understand what the fan is saying that if Kucherov is under pressure, Hedman is like a release valve, right? Like he can get it to Hedman. But honestly, a lot of times they send two penalty killers to Kucherov. So if Hedman is close to him, then the penalty killer that's higher will be on Hedman. Right? So that's why you are putting it in Kucherov's hands. The fan is right. You are putting more pressure on Kucherov, but he thrives in that pressure. He is good enough to break down that pressure and make a play and help one of his teammates score a goal. I, I am not disagreeing that the power play has, has been a little more flat these last couple of games, and the Calgary game was very noticeable. I'm going to attribute that to a combination of a very good penalty-killing team in Calgary and the Lightning being mentally flat. I mean, didn't Coop actually use that expression in the clip that Steve played at the beginning of the show? He didn't say mentally flat, but he said physically or mentally fatigued. I think he yeah. saw that. I think that was part of the issue on the power play. And if, and if someone's going to write to us and tweet at us and say, the power play is a big problem. Like, last I checked, they were number two in the league. Maybe they've dropped a little bit here with the 0 for 6, but there are a lot of teams, right, they're still number two. They're 27.1%. I guarantee you there are 29 other teams Edmonton's higher. The other 29 or 30 teams, the other 30 teams would be thrilled to have that power play percentage. So it, it's cyclical. Like they had a little bit of a rough patch at the end of the trip. It can happen. Let's see how they rebound and, and regroup tonight. And I'm just checking Minnesota's penalty kill here. They're middle of the pack, just under 80%. So we'll see how the Lightning do tonight. But I think they will have had a chance now to kind of refresh and, and recharge. And hopefully the power play will be back where it's been. I think part of his question, maybe he doesn't come out and say it, which is fine. It might not even be it. It's me interpreting it, so that can always be dangerous. He also mentioned the deflected pucks, but go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I don't know what to say about that. I, Victor Hedman has been an interesting player to watch this year because I think there have been games where he's been absolutely dominant. Skating is fantastic. He's aggressive. And then there have just been games where he's been good but not great, and we're just not used to seeing that. And I'm wondering if that spills over a little bit to the power play and how effective it can be or can't be when it's struggling. Look, they made the switch at times going with Sergachev with the first power play unit. Yeah. And, you know, Dave, I think even last year that probably would have been unheard of. I don't think anybody who dares to be objective when it comes to covering this team couldn't and wouldn't sit here and say, yeah, I think Victor Hedman's playing at a Norris level. The good well, news is the yeah, good news he, is it's he may still not be. he can get there. That's what I'm the good news is he can get there. I just I think we've seen more inconsistencies this year than I can remember. And I'm wondering if it does go back and we consider and say, well, look, the last couple of weeks it's been a little 
I think the adjustment playing with a new defense partner has had a little bit more of an impact than everybody anticipated. And I think still to this day, it's still not where it needs to be. I mean, he's got two goals. Did, did you ever think he'd have two goals through how many games? 40 plus? Well, but he's he's got a lot of assists and he, he is contributing on the power play. I would I would look at it this way, Greg. I don't think he's playing at a Norris Trophy level, but he's playing a lot better than he was at the start of the year. I I would agree. Yeah, for sure. And and I think there has been more consistent consistency to his game. Now he's coming off a minus 3, so that is somewhat noticeable, I think. But by the way, he's at 498 assists. Speaking of milestones. Oh, get ready. Yeah, 500 assists. Not quite the same as 500 goals, but nonetheless, hopefully he'll get to that number tonight. But he is contributing points, and I think his overall play has been way more consistent. Yeah. Consistently good than it was at the start of the year. And, you know, before the game against Calgary... He was at plus 14. And at the start of the year, I mean, he was hovering around even, basically. Right. Let me see if I can do a quick look here and kind of see where where it kind of turned for him as far as the plus minus, because there were a lot of minuses early. It was kind of right around that six-game homestand for the Lightning. Right around there, he started to, to really, and I maybe that coincidentally was – was when Chernak was moved, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and, and they weren't partners anymore. But I'm just looking at his numbers here, you know, like, and this is just plus minus. So take it with a grain of salt, but plus two, plus two, plus one, even. Minus three at Detroit, the Lightning gave up two empty netters. Plus three, plus one, plus two, plus two. Minus one, the game in Minnesota. Even, plus one, even, plus one, plus two, plus one. And then the last game, minus three. Like, he is regularly coming out of games, being on the ice for more goals for than goals against. And maybe you expect that from Victor Hedman, but that was not happening at the start of the year. Now, we're going to say, like, he needs to shoot more in the power play. Maybe so. On the six on five, he got an assist because he shot the puck. Right. And it hit Sorelli, and Sorelli scored the goal. I don't think Victor cared that it didn't go in. He cared that it didn't go in off his shot. I mean... <laughs> He was happy that they scored, right? So he got an assist of on course. it. Of course. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, if we were to look at, like, what areas need to sharpen for the Lightning? And I think there are areas they can sharpen. And and the fan mentioned too many goals going in on deflections. I still think there are too many goals going in. They've kind of been herky-jerky from late December through this early part of January, maybe not even late December. We talked about the four games in a row where they allowed more than two, starting with their road game in Minnesota. And then they had a stretch of games where they were allowing two or less, and now they've started allowing more than two again. That's been a little bit of a herky-jerky situation, and I think that they can improve upon that. But if you were to say to me, you know what, Victor Hedman just needs to raise his level, I would not say that that is their biggest concern <laughs> it's not their concern but i'm gonna tell you right now they're not you think gonna win he a cup. can be better though they're not gonna win a cup if he's 
I, I think because for everything I gave you, why I think they're top heavy a little bit more this year, I think they need to have their big guns probably be even a little bit better unless something changes at the trade deadline. That Victor Hedman needs to get back to Victor Hedman Norris Trophy more consistent. And I, to me, are you, are you talking like you want him to score more? Like you want him to I, shoot I just, the I, puck more? Or let, let me, it's it's the eye test. It's the eye test. I just there have been games where he's been great, but I think there have been more games where it's been. What's the phrase you use? Meza meza. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, not too bad. But not elite stuff. We and maybe that's on us. We expect elite from Victor Heaven. I think he does too. He's a Hall of Famer. That's what you intend. Like for the Lightning to win cups, I mean, take a look at some of the runs Victor Heaven's had in the playoffs. They don't win those cups without that guy. Yeah. Playing at a high level. In order for the Lightning to win cups, do they need their depth players to to be better? No doubt about it. That's why we've been talking about it. But the other way you can do it is to have your top guys just be fantastic. And at least right now, the Lightning's, the way they're constructed, I think the way they're going to do it is with their best players being fantastic. They're going to have to be, unless things change. Victor Hedman's part of that. Good news is it's in him. Yeah. It's in him. And we've seen it. Do I think he'll be ready to go come playoff time? Do I think, you know, hopefully he closes out the season in a way where he's just dominant? I I, I do. I do. You give You give guys who have done it before the benefit of the doubt but it you know I, I think he for them to win a cup and I think he would tell you I think he's got to be their best defenseman by far and we'll see how it plays out but it was a you know interesting observation as we kind of look how is this team going to improve itself from now until the playoffs and everything everybody has said before whether it's adding depth whether it's defending better yes agreed but I, you know, I am giving you a little bit more of an angle from a specific players, and I, I think Victor Hedman. There's another level for him to get to, and I think that's actually pretty scary for other teams going against the Lightning, because when that guy is rolling as good as he is, and then you factor in maybe Sergachev's steps as a player this year, and then you know Ian Cole has fit in nicely, Perbix has fit in nicely. We've talked about the depth. It's a pretty good back end now. It's a really good back end, I think, if Hedman's playing where he is. And I do think there is something to be said for the fact that he's had to adjust to a different defensive partner. Yes. I do. Yeah. I do. I think that's fair. I, I I think anybody would probably struggle in a moment like that. It's a comfort zone. So I think it's interesting uh, how that will play out at Bolts Radio if you want to get involved in the conversation. Can Al says, if you're planning a show during the All-Star break, it might be nice to have Julian Breezewar or Stacey Rouston talk about the Lightning prospects in Syracuse juniors in college. Who mm-hmm. is getting close to taking the next step in their career? Well, you know, that what's interesting is I don't even know if they know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, remember, Pervix kind of caught them off guard based off of what we were talking about at the beginning of the show. And maybe... Uh, I think Syracuse has some guys down there who are who are filling that that are doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I couldn't tell you who is high on their list. I mean, I'm sure they would come out, but they they sometimes try and stay away from that a little bit. They don't they want to see all those guys yes. I think produce and if you mention one guy, then somebody else on the team is like, right. What about me, right? hmm I know we've had people talk about like where's Fortier and you know, some of the other guys maybe are 
knocking on the door at the forward position. And I think you want the competition down there. And there are some guys who've had a, a cup of coffee in the NHL and that are looking to get back. But I think the Lightning have shown, partner, it doesn't really matter where they draft. They find guys who can make an impact. The real test will be eventually when they really don't have any first-round picks because they've been going for it every year, and maybe some of their their marquee guys are getting a little older and maybe mm-hmm. need a little bit more support. But that's I think you worry about those problems when they come. You know, it was interesting. Um, our good friend Chad Schnarr from Bold Prospects. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. I'm, I'm assuming he still does the site. Yeah, it's I been think so. so long since Chad and I have, have chatted in this setting. And he's a great source of information when it comes to prospects and and development. That's what he does. But we would always have fun debates on the air because anytime they'd make a trade, you could tell it was like Chad was holding his breath. <laughs> you know, like, oh, two years from now, they're going to feel this. <laughs> and my point to him a lot of times was, but that's okay. Because... If you're in a good situation, that's sometimes how you want to look at the trade deadline is to move those prospects for players ready to win now. Right. Where the Lightning have, I think, excelled probably more so than others has been their ability to identify players late in the rounds, in the draft, and Nick, Nick develop Burbix, them. right? Yeah. And they've they've become quality players. Now that formula works if you've also your core group of players are still pretty young and you don't have to rely on them all the time. So it's nice to sit there and say, well, look, we don't have a first round pick here because we traded all our assets, but boy, we got Nick Perbix in the sixth round, or we got this player in the fourth round. That's that works if you've. You've locked up Braden Point, who's you know 24, 25. Same thing with Sorelli. Stamco's still playing at a high level. Kucherov playing. It, it works when you have your core group settled. If you didn't, and you were, you were like, yeah, we got Perbix in the sixth round. He's, yes, but Perbix probably isn't going to be a guy, at least right now, that's going to do what Victor Hedman is doing. Different player. And I think the Lightning have found a nice mix of complementing those players in the late rounds to the high-end players that they're still developing and under contract right now who are making a big impact game in and game out. Yeah. I mean, there's there's certainly a lot of truth to that. I don't envy Julian Breesbaugh. I mean, look, he, he knows what he signed up for. When you're a team like the Lightning and you've been good and you want to stay good and you have no cap space and you've already traded a lot of draft picks, it is difficult to continually upgrade. But you know he's going to leave no stone unturned, right? No, that's what you love. Yeah. At least I do. I mean, I think if you're a fan. And even somebody that covers the team, you want <laughs> you want a team that's going to win. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more fun. Well, you can't guarantee that. Like, Julian has no – he can't directly affect the outcome of games because he's not out on the ice, but he can, he can build the team to give it a, a very good chance of success. Like what you were saying to, to Joe – or what Joe said, he wished he would have asked Julian. Sorry, you were thinking of a question to ask Joe. Joe said the question he would have liked to have asked Julian but forgot was, you know, what is it like when you know your playoff opponent months in advance? Because <laughs> everyone's expecting it's going to be the Lightning and the Maple Leafs again. 
look, I don't care how much you can improve your team. There's a chance you could lose in the first round if you're facing the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. These are two of the top teams in the NHL. Yep. So all you can do is try and put your team in the best possible position to have success. Yeah. And then cross your fingers and hope that the bounces go your way and to the extent that, you know, there are injuries that are minor, like they aren't debilitating huge impact injuries. I mean, that's stuff you can't control, right? You can't. So, but but Julian knows the sort of team that he wants to build. And, look, he's not going to tell us everything in a, in a mid-season press conference. I don't, I don't know why he wouldn't. Right, but <laughs> but I think that he understands the sort of team he wants to have. And that was the one answer that he gave, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to see if I can find the – because I was looking at the same tweet line that you were about, like, all right, this is Ed and Cena. What kind of player the Lightning would be looking for at the deadline? Julian Breezebois said, quote, generally speaking, help defend and make us a harder team to play against. Bingo. There you go. And I think, like you said, that's been the sort of player the Lightning have brought in fairly regularly at the deadline. Yes, they have. Well, buddy, we're going to be at it again tonight. Yeah, stamp the ceremony. It'll be fun. 7 o'clock, pregame skate show at 6. Don't forget, we've got the new Lightning app, mm-hmm. so make have sure you, you download it Have you downloaded it yet, by the way? I have not. I have not yet. I have. I heard it's Lightning fantastic. Radio 24-7 is right there on the home screen. Well, it says radio, but that's us. Yeah. So Love that. You download it, you open it, and you can hit radio and get us 24-7, as we are called, Lightning Radio 24-7. It's a beautiful thing. And don't forget, too, to vote for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, with, that's on uh, there, the too. Lightning. Yeah, with the Lightning players, staff, former players there. Do it and uh, cast those votes. We already gave you ours, or at least I did. And uh, you can kind of go from there and have a lot of fun. All right, partner, we will talk to you tonight. Talk to you appreciate tonight. Appreciate you. Thanks, Steve Erstick. Thanks to Joe Smith. We appreciate him. Glad he's back in town for a little bit. We'll do it again tomorrow, recapping this game. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Radio.